Hello, I'm Uzing Gloop. And I am Olympia Bukakis. Oh my gosh, and this is our podcast, Slurry. 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 I'm really <laughs> loving, I'm like, I say this every time, but I'm really loving the quiet slurry. I think, yeah, I think like, I, I, it's all, we've all had enough of like in your face. Yeah, and it's like exactly what you would expect like from drag performers it's yeah. like a big loud like people like been there done that I want like ASMR drag <laughs> like yeah slurry slurry like there are a lot of really fascinating textures in drag that do make a lot of interesting noises yeah that's true actually yeah. like a lot of this plastic jewellery just sounds incredible when you clink it together this is very true also yeah. and I like it when you have a really 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 old wig that you're yeah. combing and the, the plastic fibres have become like straw you know I, I don't <laughs> I think the amount of times that I've combed a wig is probably less than 20 do you remember the time I showed you how to comb a wig oh my god <laughs> 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 we were we're in a Let's say an, an advanced state of uh, party-induced decay. Yeah, um, and and uh, and then like I was expecting like you to be like, this is how you do it, and then you were going full on to like the critical theory of combing a wig. <laughs> yeah. It was incredible. It's a science. Yeah, we went in, we went into time, yeah. <laughs> like space, how you can bend them. It was how you can bend them, how you can back comb them. <laughs> back combing space and time. Back combing space. <laughs> Einstein doesn't know what he was missing out on with the heteronormativity of his theory. Wow. Bam. Yeah, you could put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> you could. We should do merch. I would be, yeah, definitely. Yes, we would do. Yes, yes, yes. I would rather die than organise merch, but uh, I, if, like, you want to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think people maybe should just, like, I think that we should just, um send people no wait this is what Redbubble is we can just put like bad PG PNG files of us on like things and people can, like order them from a uh, website and they're just like our faces laser printed oh wow on like a, a very basic fruit of the loom cotton tee I think I would feel so confronted just like suddenly seeing my face on people's clothes <laughs> I feel like I'd need a bit of warning first. You feel confronted. Yeah. I feel, I just, like, all of a sudden my face just, like, shining out. I think I have a strange, it's one of the things with the PTSD, I have a strange relationship with my own image. So, like, if I see myself, it's, it's like, without, like, without anticipating it, it's, like, it's, it's confronting. Yeah. It's well, weird, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, whereas on the other hand, I quite like seeing my face when I'm wearing the green makeup because um, autistic people suffer from, uh, from a thing called face blind. Suffer. We suffer. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Like uh, medical, the medicalization of the experience. So autistic people have an experience often called um, uh, face blindness yeah. where they don't recognize it. So I like seeing my face in makeup because I go like, because I'm, I'm just the green one. <laughs> I'm like, there I am. Like, it's me. It's me. Oh, there. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Just not like, otherwise it can be quite difficult to sort of like distinguish sometimes. Tell people, yeah. I have, I have this thing when I, when I see my face in drag where I'm just like, I just saw it recently. I was just like, I am so beautiful. <laughs> just like, oh my God, I look gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you... like when I, when, I, when I bother to like wear a wig and more than lipstick, it's like when I do contouring or make any sort of effort, it's like stunning. Yeah, I know. I mean, you do, you do like, you do like your drag is like quite incredible because you actually do a standard amount of makeup for a cis woman. Yeah, yeah. I still do drag. I wear, I wear less than Kim Kardashian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Although, yeah, I think a lot of drag queens wear less than Kim Kardashian. She's really, like, her make. she's really good at makeup. So it's a, it's a, a terrible, a terrible, shameful secret I have is that when I first started doing drag, I wanted to look like a green Kim Kardashian, like, with the idea of, like, the, all the contouring, but in green, because yeah. I, I just thought it was so anti-human, like, yeah. so incredibly anti-human. And then I told this to my friend one time, and they were like, hang on a minute, and they got up the pictures of me when I first first starting drag, and they were like, this <laughs> is what you were going for? for <laughs> it, yeah. which really testifies to the fact that nobody knows you're doing it wrong if they have no idea what you're <laughs> it's doing true. it's true but I just you know when I started doing drag I felt so naked because I, I, I was never able to draw so I was never mm. like or I could but with a supreme effort like and I tended to <sighs> well, I tended to, I tended to gravitate towards 
um, things that I was already good at or that I already had a bit of an aptitude for. Yeah. Um, but like drawing, I just never had. So I never really developed it. And you, it's a real head start if you can draw or paint when you start doing makeup. But no, I just mm. wanted to be on stage. I didn't want to spend like all of this time and I found it really difficult. And then, and also it's not like, it's not like you're doing this makeup and then like one or two people are going to see it. It's like, this is a skill that I need to develop for the moment at which I will be viewed, taken in visually by the, <laughs> by the largest number of people at the small, at the, at the same time. Yeah. And it's like, Oh my God, it's a hard thing learning drag makeup. Yeah. Which is why you decided to just not do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, and I'm like, I'm, I'm blessed with uh, rather androgynous bone structure. Um, like no, one, no one would say I have an overly square chin uh, jawline. I mean, and I, you know, I'm like, I'm, whilst I am a distinctly cuboid, um, I have a square shaped face, like Angelina Jolie, so it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I also have no Adam's apple. I, yeah, oh wow, you don't. Yeah. Wow. You can't, you can't clock me apart from the fucking five <laughs> o'clock shadow. <laughs> five o'clock forest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, well, I don't clock you as a green Angelina, oh wait, green Kim Kardashian <laughs> with the face of. No, one of, yeah, no one I could no. kind of see that. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I guess, I guess my imagination's being like doing a little bit of help. <laughs> I mean, my continued survival comes from the overly optimistic attitude of my friends and oh. the kindness of strangers. I was going to say that sounds like a like a twenty twenty reworking of Blanche Dubois. Ooh, what did she say in that? Wait, what? I've always depended on the kindness of strangers. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I have to say, I'm a twenty twenty vision. Ah. <laughs> Wow, I don't have that. But we talked about that a couple of episodes. Oh ago. yeah, yeah. The... I've, luckily, I've got in. It's great. The, the health system works. I've got an appointment in December. Woo! That's a really long time. I mean, I feel like you. Yeah. Well, then I mean, when you that did feel the part, like when you said when the the health system works, that you were lying. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's too long to wait. But whatevs. <laughs> like the health system, it like sometimes it just doesn't come through for you which brings us <laughs> which does bring us to our to, topic to our topic, our for topic. Today. the thing the, uh the topic for today is the father the father the father uh, yep specifically the dead dad's club the dead dad's club so uh as uh some of you may know, uh, my father, um, anyone who's seen your stand up routine, yeah. <laughs> my father left, uh, the, the earthly realms, uh, when I was three months old and <laughs> so also three weeks, no, like, uh, a number of years ago and, uh, mine left yesterday, 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 bye dad. <laughs> 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 Bye, Dad. <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's one of my first words, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, Dad. <laughs> I mean, it's two very simple syllables. Yeah, and also, you know, would indicate a lifelong conviction to smash the patriarchy. Which, yeah, like, exactly. That's that's one of the first things I learned. Yeah, oh I think God. that was I was I was reviewing yesterday, and I think the best joke that I made yesterday was. Uh, <laughs> Smashing the patriarchy starts at home. (laughs) (laughs) Because where does patriarchy start? It starts with the father. It starts with the father, indeed. The father is a very interesting narrative that spans from the home mm-hmm. but also i actually have an entire unit so i uh olympianos uh and for those of you who don't i have a practice of embroidering the word bitch onto cleaning cloths. yeah i want to get one from you yes no i if i basically have one for you but like um right. this is part of a series i call home and country mm-hmm. and because i think it's a more interesting because like we've all heard the term personal and political but like so you know artists like to give things a little twist and stuff but a specific thing about the idea of home and country is addressing, and a lot of it was to do to address the impact of the notion of the father, mm-hmm. both on my life and our lives, in the sense because it's this narrative that comes from the home and expands to the country, and so much so that you know the whole idea of like strong man theory, and that also that Donald Trump, for example, was seen or these very aggressive. Uh, patriarchal figures are seen as being uh, the father which is they're seen as being um, we're like afraid of them but then also that makes us feel like we can they will protect us yeah at the same time the quality of fear 
uh, like and the, like the big man, like daddy's going to come and sort it out and all these things. And also, um, wait, strong man theory, patriot, uh, da, 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 da. oh, and then also as well how the, of oh, that, there's also this thing that uh, the working classes generally vote for more oppressive candidates, more right-wing candidates, because they've had to, if they've had to, they've been forced to repress their desires more. So if you make people repress their desires, they come to desire repression. So this is very easily exploitable by an autocrat who can take on sort of the mantle of like daddy, of this mm. like person who's going to come in and like sort shit out and yeah. is like sort of like very aggressive. Like this, this aggressiveness makes you feel like he can uh, take care of you. When in actual fact, the person who really sorts the household out is uh, the mother. Yeah. And this is also interesting that basically female premiers have dealt with coronavirus much better internationally than all male mm-hmm. leaders. Yeah, the, well, because it's interesting that like the personalized political has, has been, like as a phrase, has been um, <clears throat> really sort of widely misled, misunderstood. Mm. Uh, because... I think second wave feminists and particularly sort of like leftist, well, left, Marxist, socialist second wave feminists mm. would like using this slogan to mean uh, to bring um, people to talk about thought about politics and then industrial uh, industrial relations uh, being involved in that. These mm. were this was the polit- uh, the politics of production and they wanted yeah. to bring the politics of reproduction into focus to say that this is also political because yeah. it was previously seen as personal. Yeah, so yeah, everything yeah. that happens outside uh, the home with the reproduction of workers, um, mm. and and the keeping uh, keeping uh, like already existing wor- workers like nourished and functional. Uh, they were like all of the wi- all of the housewives are doing all of this work to keep this whole system going. So we need to see this also as political. Yeah. And um, my favorite takeaway from this is the idea that the body is the primary means of production. Yeah. Yeah. But then please continue. I guess yeah. my little my, my footnote. It's a yeah. You know, we can we can we can make that an in-text citation. I think it's very important. <laughs> um, um, so, like, <clears throat> oh no, maybe I'm lost now. Um, no, I think I'm lost. Kill the father. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, why? It's, it's I think uh, it's uh, like because you suggested yesterday that we make this the um, like the topic for uh, for uh, this. Uh, for this episode, and I, I did, I did suggest this. Yes. Yeah, and I think, I think it's a like, it's it's a bold move and one that I'm 100% on board with because yeah. it's like I feel like when when the father dies, um, mm. we are confronted with a lot of the problems uh, that um, what w- would have already existed, but not necessarily as uh, sort of visibly with alive fathers. And this is this is like because I did a stand up routine in my masters, <laughs> yeah. um, in my masters uh, like uh, like graduation piece. Where I, I always said your masters was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very punny, oozing gloops. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I started it with a fifteen minute stand up routine about the death of my father. It's and, a really good stand up routine, actually. <laughs> and so the like one of the things I said is that we're always talking about the like. Um, that like the damage that comes from an absent father, which is kind of weird when you consider that the absent father fucks up in one way, whereas the present father, he fucks up in a multitude of different ways, you know, like, so, um, mm. that, uh, it's a good opening into talk, talking about like this, this figure. Uh, and, uh, that was what I was thinking of before is that, um, I think that it is. It does make sense to draw a link between the socialization of boys into men, mm. uh, or, or more correctly, the brutalization of boys into men. Um, has uh, we can draw links between that and the way that uh, power functions uh, in, in uh, politically and economically. Um, yeah. That, and so, so then in uh, in a situation where. Um, there's a whole bunch of uncertainty and then strongman figures offer this uh, this role uh, like p- political uh, strongman politicians um, offer this um, this promise of like the restoration of like paternal order yeah. um, uh, that people do go for this because uh, uh, most of us come into these families where we where we where we have this um, well, those of us who are born into these families and then those of us who are not born into like uh, nuclear families uh, uh, still live with this myth of the happiness that comes uh, from a nuclear family in which uh, the, the role of the father takes uh, priority uh, because mm. we, we're born with this myth that, uh, that people who are emotionally stunted are best equipped 
to lead. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think this is super interesting, and that this dovetails into my very personal experience. So I had a, I had an absent father, now a dead father, and uh, in that process, that we, um, I was, uh, I did. So yes, I, my father did die yesterday. So I'm not, my, I'm not completely one hundred percent with it. But I did suggest that we do this because we were supposed to record yesterday, and someone flaked on it, didn't they, Olympia? Someone flaked out. <laughs> 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 no, we both had we both had particularly bad days yesterday. So we are recording this right on Monday. So this is the hottest, hot off the press slurry for you ever. Yeah, there is there's probably like five hours between us recording this and the first person listening to it. <laughs> okay, well then a slightly tepid slurry. But um No, I think that's hot off the press. Hot off the press? I don't know. Yeah. How long does a podcast retain heat for? Uh like I don't know, but like, you know, the print when they when they would say like the print media yeah. is always 24 hours out of date, right? I guess so. So we're doing better than print... Well, doing better than print media I in mean, 2020. I think that's, that's a low bar. <laughs> but you know, baby, I'm going to take it. Okay, I'm going to take it. We're doing better than yeah, print media. They're the yeah. easiest ones to jump over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, speaking of which, like the many father figures I had in my life. <laughs> like, So I was just... Well, basically, because of my... Yeah, because of this, the... The, my my absent father, uh, various ways. So, 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 like I was telling Olympia yesterday about that my mum one time was completely broke and had to walk like like a mile and a half with me, age two, and like my brother in a pram to put the last twenty p in the phone to like ask him to transfer some money so that we could eat. And he said he'd call back and sort it out. He didn't call back for two hours, and he just like left us there, and we had to walk back. And then my mum was living, but my mum was then living at the time. Very geographically close to her father, her mother and father, and it's really interesting the way in society we reproduce the reproduction of a home really requires the the economic the physical and economic presence of a man as well, just in a very in a way that seems very neutral uh, but is actually very political. So as a result, we ended up with like then my stepfather when I was eight and he was around for 10 years and his role as the father, he sort of became the father. He was someone actually who needed to start a family and I don't want to be too public, but because of certain things about himself, he actually couldn't fulfill this sort of function. So he ended up with sort of like a ready-made moving into a ready-made step family so he could fulfill this function of being the father. And then after uh, my mother divorced him, he moved into another family and sort of repeated the same thing. And also as well, at the same time, he went from being a stepfather and this figure into this this authority figure who was like very bossy and very commanding and things. And then the same thing happened with my mother's next husband as well, where, and he, he ended up, I moved into a garage to like sort some things out and uh, <laughs> he evicted me from it. <laughs> so, uh, because he became this, he then had this narrative strength of the father. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, sorry, like... And it was these things, like, again and again, and it's like, that actually, as well, that these... These people become very emotional and act out, as well, at the same time, by sustaining this on the pretense that they are... They are level-headed. And I'll just finish on that each one of these men presented themselves as, you know, this economic saviour or something like that, or forced my mum to... My mum was very poor otherwise. But then, actually, each one of them... Uh, managed to wildly profit in a very direct financial sense off the relationship with my mum mm-hmm. and the presence of my mum in a way that they never could have done if she wasn't around. Mm-hmm. But then she never got the accreditation from that and she never saw any of that money either. Mm-hmm. And that with the privileges of society, that it just allows men to sort of like uh, come in, occupy the central role and then just fuck off. Yeah. Twats. <laughs> yeah well it's it's also this um <clears throat> this uh situation where uh people like this this large group of people uh, that we'll uh, call men um <laughs> are expected to pre- uh, to perform uh this this very specific role which especially for working class men mm. um is something that is increasingly denied them because they, they were re- like uh <clears throat> they were really central as the head of the family mm. in uh, the um, the core of like uh, of capitalism in the mm. second half of the twentieth century, where there's a man <clears throat> in this ideal. There's a man, 
and uh, uh, the breadwinner. Yeah, and he would earn he would earn a living wage, which is enough to support a person, their partner, and their children. Uh, and so, mm. and so, with like this was a concession that was won by the working class from uh, from the ruling class after second after the Second World War. Oh wow, yeah. And but one of the one of the payoffs for that was that, uh, and and this was also it was never extended to uh, to everyone. So this was never something like a lot of the advantages of uh, the New Deal, for example, in the U.S. Yeah. were never ex- extended to black populations. Yeah, for example. So like, um, uh, it's it's important to qualify. Uh, that this was in certain places for a certain period of time. Yeah. And since we were born, what we have uh, experienced is the increasing inability of working class men to provide uh, that uh, in, in um, to provide the financial security that was considered to be a key marker of yeah. their of the success of their gender performance. Yeah. Oh, this is really interesting as well, Chia, because also as well that it's, I think it's been a uh a bit harder maybe on my brother because he is uh more of like uh he's he's a, a man who identifies he's a cis man basically and so therefore as well no like, one's perfect no one's perfect yep no and uh, and he's far from it anyway uh, <laughs> but like no he's like he's a cis man dude and so this this is more of a you know this this not having a father more of a, a thing for him whereas for me it was this you know, this is something he took emotionally harder, whereas for me it was just this parade of men. Um, which, like, hey, prepared me for thicken! Ah! <laughs> God! Oh. Um, anyway, but, like... Wait, well, they do say... No, anyway, go on. I was just going to say, basically, is the best indicator of this is how The Simpsons turned from something that was representational mm-hmm. of the average blue-collar family into something that was aspirational and then actually actively impossible. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, uh, and this is a, um, just the, uh, oh, and also that then, basically, if you've seen the same meme as me, um, it's like that there's this idea that we have, like, someone was, like, saying, like, how are you supposed to work a 40-hour week, which is the average working week is 40 hours still, or it's 38 hours or 36 hours or whatever. How are you supposed to work a 40-hour 40 40 week, uh, cook, clean your house, like do yoga, do all these things, and then do all this other stuff. And then someone uh, commented back that it was never designed. That was always designed to be shared. Yeah. So now actually we have this this fully. We have a uh, a forty hour week that we're supposed to work, but now we have both partners working it as well. So mm-hmm. it's this model of like I don't know, just in this this increasing healthscape of this ever expanding whirly gig of capital accumulation. Yeah, and what we see also is that the. Um, uh, the uh, the successes that the professional successes that have been enjoyed by middle class women mm. have been <clears throat> come at the expense or have been made possible uh, through uh, the use of uh, migrant or minority ethnic uh, mm. labour uh, in order that, so the, the migrant or minority ethnic reproductive labour so the bringing in of like maids and nannies into into the home yeah. uh, <clears throat> and so uh, the when both parents are expected to work in order mm. to support uh, children like uh, and, and the family, then the only way that this is really possible is through really, really desperate situations or like with children raising each other, like slightly older children raising the younger children, mm. or uh, if together they are also able to... to, uh, to um, so the two people inside the, uh, the nuclear family are able to earn enough to pay a very meager wage mm. to uh, like a migrant or non-white woman uh, who can then do that labor. And so it's actually just like the problem is then passed down the food chain, essentially. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. Like, and you have like uh, like the poorest uh, paying increasingly higher prices. So this is also this is the thing that haunts liberal feminism, right? Like boss, like you know, girl boss feminism. Oh god! Um, <laughs> is that like it's not actually that uh, that like that the load uh, like placed upon women is uh, decreased. It's that the load gets taken off uh, like women who's uh, like said, like uh, already had it uh, yeah. easier compared to a large a larger group of women uh, uh, who don't. But then. Every time it just gets harder and harder for the for the women um, at the bottom to uh, be able to uh, like perform their own productive and reproductive labour. Yeah, it's... I'm completely gonna go and listen to Kate Bush Woman's Work after this and cry. <laughs> yeah, I, I lip synced that in my last show. I was gonna say you did this. You just Olympia's just a wonderful, very beautiful show. Uh, 
the touch of the other. A touch of the other. A touch of the other, but it's all yeah. about where it's really woman's work. Yeah. But was that yeah. title taken? But this was something that really came up because, uh, like, I interviewed my mum and a couple of aunties and, uh, like, and, and my sister. And what really, uh, like, stuck out for me is that there was, like, that the father, mm. man, has such a massive outsized influence on... Uh, like a woman's uh, life trajectory and and a woman and her children's right. uh, life trajectory because yep. it like made such a big difference because I have another father um, who <laughs> I don't speak about uh, like as liberally in my work because um, like because he's alive and, yeah. and I haven't had that uh, that discussion with him um, uh, but so I feel like but this is the this, well. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. The great like, thing about well, that we know for a fact we've got about like three. No, we've we've seen the we've seen the listener in sight. He's not going to get onto this yet, but he might do actually. Because your mum. No, just tell me. Tell me. Tell me. No, what I was going to say is like the great thing about having a dead dad. This is, <laughs> this is where this this part of this episode starts. The great thing about having a dead dad is it's open fucking season. Like, and for me, it's been open season since like since like three months old. Um, and I have just been having at it. People get uncomfortable about it, um, but uh, but like yeah. that's no reason not to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, completely. No, I was going to say the fact that I'm uh, basically uh, incredibly either not invited to or incredibly unwelcome at my father's funeral mm-hmm. means that I will just have to go and see his grave at some point when no one else is around, which means no one can stop me from desecrating it. <laughs> <laughs> so oh yeah, like, but it, like it is, it is this out, out like because then I yeah I have another father and his presence. Um, Plenty more fish in the sea. <laughs> when it comes to dads, the dime a dozen. That's just not true. Um, uh, but like uh, that has drastically uh, uh, made the life of my family drastically uh, like like far far easier. And so I grew up with an approximation of a nuclear family mm. uh, while being born into like a very traumatic and like uh, and tragic situation yeah 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 also as well like having a stepfather from 8 to 18 was kind of like uh like uh also that gave me this kind of like this this experience this approximation it's kind of interesting because it's also like i remember really vividly like my mum had to work at this basically he was the manager of the bar that my mum worked at and i used to remember like when she used to go off to work like my brother just sitting on the side of like the kitchen counter crying and crying and crying until he vomited about her having to go and work and we had like we had two on the council estate we grew up in in like the countryside there were like two different babysitters like one was the nice one next door um who i eventually like found like 10 years later and we ended up getting high together of course um (laughs) and then the other one was just she was like i'm sure she meant more but she was so smelly Really? Yeah. Smelly? Smelly on a council estate. Imagine that. <laughs> no, but, um, I can't imagine we smelt very good, particularly at the time. But, um, yeah. I, I, had a, I had a babysitter who was, like, it was clear from when, I, from, me, from when I was very young that she was, like, she was not, she was an unkind person. <laughs> like, she was not a nice person. And she was, and I already knew when I was young that there was, it was something else that she was angry about. It wasn't us. Yeah. Um, and then she babysat again when I was 16 and like my parents didn't cause they went away and they were like, I was quite independent as a child. Um, and so like I, that I didn't need babysitting and my parents told this woman this, but she, she micromanaged my life in a way that she, like, she was like, have you finished your homework? It's like, like, uh, like, yes, but like, this isn't something that happens. Like I just like my parents don't yeah. follow along with my school. I just do well. That's yeah. me. So like you don't <laughs> need to. And then like and then she yeah she was really really intense and weird. And we were with there for a week. And she was just harassing me. It was so bad. Did you ever find out what her like hidden trauma was? Well, I don't know. I don't know. But she she you mean you didn't go snooping in her bins? But she, <laughs> no, she but she definitely had a, th- a thing with children because she was nice to adults, but she was not not she was not nice to the children. And I guess. Maybe people weren't... Nice. That's not very good quality in a babysitter, to be perfectly honest. No, and so I was like, what is she but doing? But it is what is going to get you hired. And then yeah, you're like, those kids yeah. are lying. Yeah, well, actually, my mum did like it because she knew that she could trust her. Like, she was... And she was good with, uh, like, with mum. She was like... And then, uh, like, she would come home and everything would be orderly and the children would be quiet. Um, but, like, 
she like this this oh my god this babysitter was so bad she was so mean <laughs> have oh you uh, do you know the early 2000s YouTube classic bad babysitter oh from Princess Superstar yeah oh, amazing <laughs> got my boyfriend in the shower I'm getting yeah. six bucks an hour I feel like if you're getting paid six bucks an hour then mm-hmm. you should be able to fuck as many people you as you want <laughs> in your employer's shower <laughs> Like it's like that'll be six six dollars an hour plus I'm fucking at like at like a truck station full of people at your I, at, like at, in your shower. I'm fucking all of my previous stepdads in your shower. <laughs> 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 oh god, I'm scandalized. I kind of think one of my stepdads would like. I think if I'd have pushed, I'm not. Let's not go there. <laughs> let's just not go there, man. <laughs> you always go there. I know. <laughs> I was there, born there. there. Yeah. I was born there. Um, uh, yes, no. As a, I just, it's all coming out now. As a, as Olympia found out yesterday, my uh, my mother and my now dead father were second cousins. So yeah, like I mean, I was I was. So what is a second cousin? A second cousin is like it's like what you have after you're done with the first one. (laughs) 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 Like it's like. It's funny. I've never really been done with the first one. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, well, you did grow up. Wait, did you grow up in the countryside? I did grow up in the countryside. Uh, I guess. Yeah, surprisingly, surprisingly little incest. I know Britain is a very small island made of mould, so like yeah. yeah. But then I was just like, look, I'm an I'm an illegitimate child born of incest. What did people expect? Yeah, <laughs> I think I'm doing pretty well for that. Yeah, you're doing so good. Yeah, yeah. but no, second cousins is not technically incest. It's just kind of a bit incesty. Uh, <laughs> it's not maybe that could be on the merch. <laughs> on the merch. It's a, glyph, a bit incesty. <laughs> a bit incesty. So what is the second cousin? A second cousin. So the 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 primary cousin is the cousin cousin. So that's the the child of your auntie slash uncle. Yes. Whereas a second cousin is the child of your second auntie. What's the second auntie? Right. So hey, wait, is it is it is it your your parents' cousin's child? No, it's your ba- parents' cousin. No, no, no. Okay, so hang on a second. Right, this is the way it goes. So there's you. Yeah. There's your mum. Yeah. There's your mum's mum. Yeah, my grandma. So then there's like the grandma has no way. It, maybe it's even more than that. And there's another one. And then there's like different branches of the family. Yeah. And the cousin is from the other branch. Yeah. But then it's from another branch of the family that's it's more removed. Okay. So like, I don't know. If it was any more clear, I wouldn't be able to understand it. <laughs> I don't really understand it. But I guess... I'm- I will Google a diagram. It basically means that there's... It's like your, there's your cousin... There's your first cousin is your immediate cousins. Mm-hmm. And that's part, of your, that's part of your closer family. And your mm-hmm. second cousin is a distant relative. Yeah. I remember um, there was this guy, Luke... That, uh, mm-hmm. that I was, um, like, he was or in a friendship circle, but I always thought that he was pathetic. Um, and, <laughs> and then you found out he was inbred? <laughs> no, no, no. Found out he was a second cousin? I, it turned out that he was pathetic. Um, oh, okay. And, um, Don't worry, and, like, he looks pathetic. No, he yeah, is. No, yeah, like, he, he, was, he just was a pathetic person. Um, but uh, he, one time, I was with some friends, and we called his girlfriend, who was my second cousin. And I still don't know what that means. Oh, um, yeah. But she, I knew that she was my second cousin. And we called his girlfriend, and then we all just, like, talked to her. Like, we're being kids. I don't know, silly. Yeah. And then she broke up with him after that. Um, like, and then he told, uh, like, the parents that it was... She had broken up with him because of the way that we had behaved on this phone call. Um, like, Luke Hall. How pathetic. Luke, oh, my God, I just said his last name. Oh, well. Like no, he's never going to hear this. Yeah. yeah, he told the parents that we had broken up. Uh, yeah, that Luke calls her a very had, bland like, name. Yeah, she had broken up with him because we had said something. His friends had said something yeah. on the phone because it had nothing to do with like his like like tear inducing mediocrity, um, <laughs> like the sheer uninspiring like arrangement of atoms that was him. Um, he uh, so then. Uh, my parents took me around to my second cousin's yeah. house uh, and like uh, they were like you need to apologize for like for this phone call and I was like 
I really don't know what I'm apologizing for because it was like it was it was totally so I came and and I was like okay this is important to my dad especially because it was on that side and so I was like um so they took me around I was I think I was like 10 and I was like (laughs) I'm sorry uh for that phone call and she was like what are you talking about (laughs) (laughs) it was like I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm doing this because my parents want me to do this. Yeah. And I want to be good. Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry. It's just like, yeah, it's fine. And then like, and then the, all the parents were like, oh, so this isn't it. Yeah. It's like, we are all here because of pathetic Luke. Oh my God. Yeah. He was really pathetic Luke. And pathetic yeah. Luke. Was, because because yeah. he couldn't handle the idea that he was just like, <laughs> like a 10 year old loser whose girlfriend broke up with him. It had to be that someone else had done something wrong, which yeah. is... Typical father behavior. It is typical father behavior. Glad you brought it back to that because well, it's like this. Like, it was because it's, it starts early. Like because male socialization. Yeah. Like you, you can like we can pity boys because they're put into um, like and we as like being being read as boys were also put into those situations. Mm. And it's like you need to mutilate yourself in exactly this way in order to have any social validity. Like you, yeah. you need to not feel things. You need to feel and then and then along with that you lose your ability uh, to feel what uh, other people are feeling as much. You lose a bit of empathy because you can't have empathy if you're not feeling yourself and if you mm. feel yourself you're a faggot and you're going to be like cast out so yeah. like it's this so it's, it creates this kind of person bell hooks talks about this mm. in the will to change yeah, um, yeah and so it's like uh like these these are the people who then grow up to be fathers and this is actually why it's like uh this is it's not surprising that there aren't so many good fathers because it's like mm. because it's like many people are lacking this ability to love and be loved Despite yeah. the fact that they very much want to be loved. And this is in the Scum Manifesto where Valerie Solana says, yeah. uh, having an, an inherent, uh, like a deep-seated desire to be admired uh, by uh, those around him, but no uh, inherent worth, the man creates a series of arbitrary social structures <laughs> that make him seem better than everyone else. <laughs> Um, remind me what uh, what scum stands for again. It's uh, the Society for Cutting Up Men. But apparently, <laughs> but she apparently she didn't put that on. It was like her editor who added that. It completely doesn't surprise me. Well, because it, it doesn't appear in the text, and like so it also completely discredits any of her work as well. Do you know what I mean? Because it's just so inflammatory. Yeah. Well, the the, the manifesto itself is very inflammatory, but it, but it's like I just. Yeah. It's, I, one, yeah, it's one thing to be inflammatory. It's another thing to literally, like, advocate, like, you know, but whilst I still love on it. A, in the manifesto, she does advocate, advocate killing all men. Oh, she does. Okay, <laughs> she yeah, does. I forgot this. She does. But the Society for Cutting Up Men, like, um, she also says that we do, at a certain point, we won't have to kill men anymore because... Um, because we... They'll will, just kill themselves? Because uh, she does uh, also imply, um, imply them to do that, implore them to do that. But uh, she says, um, once... Uh, money has been abolished. We will no longer need to kill men because uh, they will have lost their power. Yeah, I think this is it. Well, this is just it. Is I'm really interested in that. It's rather than because also there are there are also there are they there are good fathers that do yeah. exist. But I think that it doesn't is that the the power that the father has and this point that you raised earlier about all these women that you interviewed and that consistently that like the idea of a man being around and this being the moment by which the sun rises or sets, yeah. which is a phrase I love right now, uh, is really interesting. So it kind of negates, it negates the the simple asymmetric narrative weight of the father, negates the moral performance of individual fathers mm-hmm. as well. Ultimately, this is kind of it. It's the fact that it's so significant that, uh, my, that something as but my father's arbitrary sort of behaviour in certain ways caused such a complete seismic change in the course of my life and my mum's life and things like that is um is this sort of thing. And I think this is um this brings me to my favourite phrase in German, which is Das ist mein Mann. <laughs> <laughs> which mm. like I love it because it's also as well is that das is the neutrum for the objective mm. it's not dare is my man which is the masculinist mm. it intrinsically objectifies men mm. instead of rather as a person but rather as some sort of like totemic implement by which one negotiates patriarchy <laughs> now I've said this to my now, with my ex who is a dude identifies as a dude and is very much about being a dude and just a dude uh, and uh, you know great dude but very distinctly 
a dude. He was like, I don't get this. Why do you think this is so funny? Like, da 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 da. Because uh, he's just got a comfortable level of male privilege. Mm-hmm. And I told it to my housemate, who is uh, had various problems with finding a man and stuff like that. And as a femme person, and they were like, I completely get this. Like, <laughs> because basically what happens is, is your ability, once you get a man and you have a man around and you can say, that's my man and all these things. And like having this man, the 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 magic wand that is waved over your social ability to move is um is just simply pheno- phenomenal and transformative mm. and i mm-hmm. think that that's really that's really it and um and that also with this narrative strength is also that there's i mentioned earlier i said earlier kill the father because this is a freudian concept mm. you know that there's the idea that so you meant that in the freud rather than the valerie solanas sense i did mean it <laughs> i did mean it in that sense but the 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 ambivalence of the reading is what makes it delightfully <laughs> queer <laughs> um but yeah, there's this idea. So it's, for example, there's uh, there's like this movie called Monsters or something, and there's like Monsters Two or something, and it's I don't know it's like this thing. But basically, it's about like being in being in a, a rack or something like that, and there's these monsters, and it follows like the life cycle of the monsters, like in the movie. Like every single time the CGI monster turns up, it's like at a baby stage, and then it grows a bit more and stuff like that. But it's like an exact following of one of the new troops growing as a soldier with this other crazy post-traumatic stress disorder person. Mm. And he kills this man eventually as well. And as he does, this terrible monster is arising where this man has then become the father. Mm -hmm. And actually, time and again, if you look at uh, movies and video and TV and stuff, we just have the the idea of the father is what gives us a coherent narrative and a mm-hmm. coherent form of moving forward mm-hmm. as well. Of which there are many, many, many examples which escape me right now. But if maybe the business is like clever, I'll think of one. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. also interesting. This makes me think as well about, I don't know how, like, cause this is a bit of a jump, but like... Go one, for it. I'm ready to jump. <laughs> one of the things that makes uh, like that that makes it so uh, enjoyable, uh, or maybe like why it's such an attractive prospect to like rage against uh, the father, is that we ah! have been promised this like promised the care and protection yeah. of a man who uh, is very, because he is human is very often unable to to perform yeah. that uh, to a satisfactory degree, and so then we have this lack inside us where that yeah. we have to make peace with. Um, and it's very, very, it's like, it's hard. And like, because yeah. like, the, the, I think, I guess. Well, it's also, this is interesting because basically with the, like suicide is the leading cause of death amongst men at the moment and young men basically, or at least in the UK that mm-hmm. like basically due to the emotional absence. And it's actually been that way for years. It's due to the lack of emotional discourse within men, mm-hmm. the not allowing them to have their feelings, discuss their feelings. And then also with the inability of men to perform this protector role, and the inability of men to perform, to be their gender performance or to be their gender role in society again and again is leaving them with this. But it's also that it's so diffuse that men aren't realising that this is the problem mm. kind of thing. But it's so huge that it becomes this this cause for suicide and this en masse cause mm-hmm. of suicide. And so that it's the, it's kind of just that these... I know, I guess it's just the, it's the uncritical repetition of these forms, yeah. of these patterns, of the family patterns, you know, like I'm so pissed off that second wave feminists like went all out on the f- second wave feminists went all out on being turfs and like gave up on the idea of abolishing the family. Yeah, it's well, it's the most reactionary kind, uh, mm-hmm. like the most reactionary strain uh, that like that sort of like survives, which is really it's really really. Annoying. I like the way you, like, oh, with radical feminists, radical uh, in particular that it's like yeah. that like radical feminism now like like the most broad representation of it, uh, like all the most common rep- uh, like uh, descendant that we see of it is just mm-hmm. like transphobes who actually don't really hold um, uh, classically radical feminist ideas. Yeah. But like, I th- you know, I think you could also make the argument that like TERFs, like it's not so surprising that we get TERFs from radical feminists who like tried to uh, like replace um, uh, like the, the the central narrative of like uh, class conflict and and, and uh, yeah. like economics and replace that through patriarchy. So like rather it's not it's not capitalism. It's patriarchy and cap- the way capitalist patriarchy is like the latest expression no. in patriarchy, which is the central conflict and has been going for however long. And I just think like I don't think this is a morally wrong argument. I just think it's not very um it's not it doesn't hold water very no, well. No, but also look, I'm gonna say that I fucking love Marx. Okay, and there's no way anyone's gonna be able to like say anything otherwise than that. But 
like he wasn't a fucking god <laughs> and then it's the way in which like it's also that then this binary relationship between the proletariat and the capital the, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie and then that this is consistently the uh to be put you know th- then you know there's various ways of them like this is what very i a way of interpreting what post-marxism is is that there is this kind of like idea of you know there is this central antagonism of like opposition um within society in some way between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie or no, but then like replacing that as between men and women mm. kind of thing i really interesting thing that my friend posted on instagram that i took a print screen of because i'd like to say the professor's name um but i didn't take a print screen of it so i couldn't find it as well apparently so sorry about that um there is a certain professor from Africa was studying uh, the Yoruba uh, mm. uh, tribe and region and stuff like that. And basically found before coloniality, women did not exist. Mm-hmm. That actually that the central uh, signifier of identity within society was age and not gender. Mm-hmm. And that basically that coloniality came in, it made gender neutral gods male and our, our gender neutral divine figures male. Because uh, even the term God is, a, is you know, is like mm-hmm. a different term. And then um, and then also may, like ignored uh, female uh, chiefs and stuff. So um, just something I want to kind of uh, get into, because I'm kind of feeling it with with dad dying yesterday, father dying yesterday. Instantly, I'll just I'll get this off. Because it's nice to be with you and sharing with people at this time, because this has been such a, a personal process for so long mm-hmm. here at the last gasp mm-hmm. i don't really have the emotional resources left to actually deal with it so it's quite nice to, to just share it with other people yeah. let them react for me but like as like you know like uh one of like seven and the four of them uh don't know that i exist they, so there's four kids out there in scotland right now who do not know that they have the world's premier internationally acclaimed award-winning autistic green drag queen as a sibling lol <laughs> like i mean can you imagine i mean like, like okay wait just so- show up as is a glute to the funeral it's like the gag of the season the gag of the season <laughs> and then, like throw myself in the thing i'm your sibling <laughs> i would just be like you know, i'd be making my rupaul's uh, drag race audition tape at the same time <laughs> you wanted a stunt queen drop Oh my god. Absolutely. Hi guys, welcome to my channel. (laughs) Today we're gonna do something really underground, about six feet down. It's a reaction video. So good. Those TikToks are like dad's just about to walk in and I'm doing this dance you know and it's like I'm just about to walk into my father's funeral <laughs> his wife who hates me doesn't know that I'm coming wait till we see her face like, <sighs> like I mean I never knew it like oh god you would get like 10 subscribers from that I would definitely get about 10 yeah. subscribers and potentially yeah. banned yeah. Uh, because YouTube's becoming an increasingly more conservative place um no, but then I think there's something about like being like uh, being like this kind of weird secret sibling or mm. this weird secret, this like sort of day like secret from uh, you know uh, this sensation like it really stopped me from like communicating in a way so much and even just with whom? just with myself and with the world just in some way mm. there's something about this and I think there's something about the way in which that try as we might we can't I think that it's very important to not bypass these structures of authority, but also not to be bogged down by them at the same time mm-hmm. as well. And I think that it's really interesting in the way that the father controls that Judith Butler and Galaxy Spivak talk about the idea of speech and text mm-hmm. and that speech is the realm of the soul and the realm of the will and the realm of mind and that public speaking is a form of communication prized over over text and that mm-hmm. it's, it's public speaking mask and speech is femme. No, Texas, you know what I'm saying. Um, I'm, I, I don't actually know. Can you, can you say no, that again? No, wait, so, sorry. So the speaking is a masculine mm-hmm. realm and writing is a feminine realm mm-hmm. with these things. And I think that it's also that there's something that you were telling me before that Angela Davis said about certain women within the women's movement that they were acting as men. Yeah. Well, I said that in my, uh, in my book chapter, yeah. 
But I think that this is, you know, this idea of like, it's also because there is this notion of becoming the father in a certain sense, or that within these things that once become, once, once one becomes, I don't know, like, for example, in magic, magical practice, there are four elemental weapons, which is the wand for fire, the cup for water, uh, the disc for earth, and then the knife for air. But you have those as the elemental weapons, but then you also have a fifth thing, which is you have another knife, and that's your magic knife. So, but it's really interesting that Zizek talks about the idea of these repetitions can be mm-hmm. something that reveal ideology to us. So mm-hmm. that actually that it kind of implies that by the double repetition of the knife as a symbol, it kind of implies that you actually have to use one of, it's basically to, to get into our symbol set, that actually our symbol set is so controlled by a certain one of these symbols that you actually have to use this symbol to get into this language of symbols. Mm-hmm. And people do all this, a lot of struggling and, and mental gymnastics to say how this knife is that knife and that, mm-hmm. that knife's the other knife and it's just all weeds as bullshit, mm-hmm. basically. And I think that that for me, this is this is that to step into the realm of activity, we take on a certain amount of patriarchy mm-hmm. to be active and to have any kind of traction within a patriarchal society that we do this and so that also that you know there's this feminist critique of these women acting as men mm-hmm. that they sort of because they were taking they were they were too part and parcel with it and I think in the sense of the personal as the political is a very misinterpreted or a very overused thing or that there's also the idea of Audrey Lord's the master's tools will not dismantle the master's house mm-hmm. kind of thing I don't know I seem to be going in a this is very much the scenic route um, I'm loving your scenic route my scenic route and it's your day if there's any day when you're allowed to take the most oh. scenic route that, route that you want like, oh, I'm so happy I'm with you, Olympia. Like, yesterday when I found out, I was like, well, thank God I'm going to go see Olympia today because I don't know who the fuck else I'm going to go see. Like, <laughs> uh, like, yeah, I think there's this, this, I don't know, it's just kind of this strange thing because it's also, I have like, there's, I have my father's, on my birth certificate, I have my father's name. Yeah. And it was always this thing that, it always just felt like this final slap in the face of like this, this like, not only am I the illegitimate child of incest who was kept in this like dirty secret and stuff like that, but also I have the name, which if I had, I'd be Michael Reynolds the fourth if I had the, like the lineage of the name, but I have my mother's surname. Oh. So like, it was always this kind of like that. And like Jacques Lacan talks about like the field of ideology as being secured by the name of the father. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that was when the political felt very personal. <laughs> I know yeah. it's just all this kind of like real like crazy thing, but it's like just like it's this very like it's kind of interesting that the way that we are seeing that we've just had this huge like strong man explosion of like Donald Trump mm. and Boris Johnson and this sort of like kind of dip back into fascism mm-hmm. at the beginning of the twenty first century, just like we had at the beginning of the twentieth century with this strongman theory and these sorts of things and how our narratives of fatherhood and belonging are changing in this this completely new time and I also as well just basically like on Friday I turned 30 on Saturday I slept on Sunday I woke up my father was dead like there comes a time in every girl's life (laughs) I felt like Jesus in the cave (laughs) like yeah just kind of crazy and then like it's this cruel thing I think that um uh, like one thing that a bad father very often does is that the only thing he gives you uh, is uh, uh, a name and daddy issues to go with it. Like, autism. Oh, <laughs> and he gave you autism. Yeah, well. my father gave me four things. He gave me his name, autism, a skipping rope, and a statue of a hawk. <laughs> and the day yeah. I found out the statue of the hawk was him, it dropped and it smashed. Really? Yeah, wow. by accident. It yeah. was just really like, I was like, wow, of course it would. Of course now in this moment. Yeah. It would. Yeah, the only, like, I know that from my biological dad, I got a name and an anxious attachment style as a result of his death. Ah! Yeah. Oh my God, I mean, I'd yeah. high five you, but we're, we're having a noise hygiene with our microphone. Right <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, that's, oh, and I had a denim jacket, but I lost that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where the hawk went. I think I've got the skipping rope somewhere, but I think it will break if it gets used again, which sounds about right. I mean, also as well, I would just say that, like, I did a lot of performance. I mean, like, I did a lot of performance work with my life to to be able to uh, travel and, and move around and do all sorts of things. And so, and the reality is, is that my father was someone in... Um, 
in rural Scotland with undiagnosed Asperger's syndrome who didn't know how to manage relationships, didn't know how to have a relationship with himself and didn't know how to, to govern these things. And he, he really messed up and he, he really messed up in a lot of ways. And if you weren't around him individually, he it's like you didn't exist to him. But mm. when you were with him, he made you feel like you were the most important person in the world, mm. which I can imagine is a complete head fuck for the people that, like, well, everyone in a relationship with him, including me, mm-hmm. kind of thing. But I think ultimately that, like, I mean, I don't have any resentment is what I would say. Like, I have a lot of dark jokes because, like, hey. That, oh, my God, yeah. Okay, that's, that's the third thing my father gave me. It's, like, <sighs> access to, a, like, a reservoir of, like, terribly dark jokes. Well, thank God for your daddy because I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this, as, I, as you were saying that, I was thinking that one of the things that, um, like, queer kinship gives us or attempts to give us um, is, uh, uh, like, a more sort of, like, consistent and reliable... Uh, like uh, replacement for an inconsistent father. Yeah, I think a lot of queer people can sort of relate to this, um, and mm. that um, and that that's something that we can try to be like we can we can, that's what we can try and do in our uh, adult relationships is uh, give and receive uh, the kind of uh, security uh, and and affection that we had potentially hoped to have received more often. Yeah, from the men who had that job. Yeah, yeah, this is true. It's also as well that basically just that, you know, when I was, it's also that I think that all queer people go through an experience being raised in, not all queer people, but you know, like all queer people, like like, there's this, the family is an overwhelmingly heterosexual modality of organisation. You know, like it's a heterosexual mode of organisation, like schools are heterosexual spaces, like all these like spaces are overwhelmingly heterosexual. They don't want to disrupt that sexual, there's a certain sexual discourse that is normalised. Um, and they don't want to disrupt that with the visibility of any other sexuality because then you have to explain sex to children. That's an overtly bad thing. So people who are sexualized can't be around children and that sort of thing. So I never had a moment. I ne- and from my family unit, I never heard that uh, homosexuality or queerness was okay. Yeah. Basically, it wasn't. It wasn't explicitly discriminated against by them, but then I mean, but by our brother, and then also these jokes and things like that. And it's also it's really interesting because queerness is just actually um, of the of the very small network of people that I grew up in a village with. Like uh, uh, the majority of the men engaged in somehow with queerness, but did not end up identifying in this yeah. way, you know. And that that it's. But what I'm trying to get at is that. By becoming queer, at some point, we are made to feel that we have betrayed our families mm-hmm. and our family structure at some point. We are always made to feel at some point that we don't fit within it and that there is a process by which we become aware of queer emotion. And there is a long time before that becomes a coherent identity. And that in between, that, that space itself is one of, of pain, uncertainty and betrayal. You know, and I think that all all teenagers go through that at some point, in some sense, you know. But this isn't like, oh, I shoplifted something from the store, you know, and then I've been, you know, maybe I'm a bad person. This is like on another level, you know. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. Like I'm going to fall outside of the acceptable realm of everything. And my family's going to hate me. And basically yeah. the point that, to which you or have I'm to... I'm not going to have them anymore. I'm not going to... Yeah. My family going to reject me. I'm going to have them anymore. It's like you've basically got to, you've got to basically... It's like, right, I will wait until a point where I know I can potentially survive completely on my own yeah and then i will come out yeah i waited until then yeah yeah and maybe it's i mean it's also as well as like even if it's even if it's different now it's to a certain extent it's not different everywhere no it's not and no in some places it's much worse than it was when we were young so like actually it is yeah yeah like so it's uh this i this thing it's very important to sort of like put caveats on our ideas of like this progress and how it works and there's many people that, yeah, yeah. But it's also, though, this is what I mean as well as, like, this is just a thing of, like, the what I talk about with the idea of it doesn't matter about the good father or the bad father so much as that the father has such a level of power yeah. that I think the way that to go about this is not necessarily to, like, maybe get, like, pro-homo dads, um, is to uh, just abolish the family. That I think <laughs> is a very, very good place 
for us to wrap up this conversation. It's been a pleasure to speak with you, Uzing Gloop. It's always a pleasure to be in your presence, Olympia. I love you. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. I love you too. Thank no. you very much for listening, uh, dear dear listeners. Uh, we'll um, we'll s- see you next week. See you on the flip side, motherfuckers. May the Father rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs>